Before you're seated, I, I, I believe the Holy Spirit gave me a word, a word of knowledge is what the Bible would call it. Uh, for someone that's single here today, I, I, I'm not sure if it's a man or woman, but the Holy Spirit told me that he sees very much your desire to have a mate. He sees your loneliness, he sees your frustration, but he sees you're about to forsake the most important thing, and that's a godly person. Because you can marry the wrong person and still be unhappy. And I hear the Lord saying that if you would just keep your focus on Him and not out looking for a husband or looking for a man or looking for someone, but if you would set your focus on looking for God and running after God, you're going to find someone and it's going to be the right person that will satisfy you. But I hear the Lord saying that Satan would even use this to try to pull you aside into a wrong relationship that would hinder your life. And the Lord says he sees your heart and he has good intent and good desires for you. So if you will wait on the Lord, he will bless you and prosper you in your ways in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a good hand this morning. Well, tell your neighbor you're looking better than the last time I saw you. One of our church members had a t-shirt last night. I wish she was here so you could have seen it. But in the back of the t-shirt, it says, live in such a way that the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. <laughs> I like that. Well, we're kicking off a new series today uh, called Healthy Relationships. And I want to take a little step in time backwards and uh, look at a little funny video to set this up. Good evening, ladies. Good evening, Mr. Jones. Hmm. Guess your hubby's feeling the heat, Mrs. Moran. Oh, men are all alike. They're all easy enough to get along with so long as everything goes the way they want it to. But once it don't, good night. Yes, that's true, Mrs. Jones. I often think it's a shame that people don't seem able to live together in peace and quiet without making each other miserable. Well, what I say is, you get married for better or for worse. And if it turns out for the worse, well, all you can do is make the best of it. Well, how many feel inspired after that? How many have never seen a black and white television show? Let me see your hand here. Never seen a black and white? Okay, a couple people out there. Well, think of what that really happy, happily married lady said at the end. If things turn out for the worse, all you can do is make the best of it. Well, I'll tell you, friend, that's a sad way to live. Because the Bible is a book full of hope that will help us, full of wisdom that will guide us, full of uh, uh, patterns and ways of behavior that will help us to have healthy relationships, healthy relationships in our marriage with our kids, uh, in our close circle of friends with other Christian people. Uh, the, the series is called Healthy Relationships, and I want to look at a couple scriptures that set the tone for this. Proverbs 24 says this, it takes wisdom to have a Good. See, when I do this, I want you to tell me what's on the screen. So we're going to try that one more time. It takes wisdom to have a, a good family. How many want a good family? Yeah, it takes wisdom to have a good family. It takes understanding to make it strong. So the question is, where does this wisdom and understanding come from? Do you have to tune in to Oprah? Do you look at a, 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 a current version of modern family? Or is there somewhere else we should go? Well, I want to suggest to you this is the place we should go. We should go to God's Word, the source of hope for better relationships. Uh, it, these relationships also apply to our friendships. Proverbs 18.24 says, Some friendships do not last, but some friends are more loyal than brothers. 
Now, everyone that's in this room want those kind of close, meaningful friendships, and we want a good, happy family. And I want to just begin this series, if I can, telling you it is possible. And it is possible for you. If you were to rate your family 0 to 10, 0 is I'm married to the devil, and 10, I'm married to the Holy Spirit. If you're a 3 or a 4, listen, let me tell you, friends, God can help you. And I want to just pause just a moment to pray because here's what I've learned about relationships. Uh, when we have a relationship with people that particularly that we care about, our heart should be open to them. And when I say our heart, that we're vulnerable. But how many know you can be vulnerable not only to the good things, but you can be vulnerable to hurt and pain? And what happens typically is we close our heart. And as we close our heart, we don't even let God because we don't want more pain to come in. And then what happens, the relationship is no better than stagnated, but most of the time it goes downhill. So I would like to pray, but I would like to ask you to pray. If you feel that there's some relationship you're in that you've closed your heart to it, and you've said, Lord, I just don't know that it can ever be better, I guess I'm just going to have to endure it. Could we just dare to believe that God might help us be free from that? Why don't you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us. It's our choice today to open our hearts to the Word of God, to believe that your Word is true, it'll be helpful. And we ask you, Lord, not to change the other person, but to help us become the person you want us to be. And we'll trust you with the rest in Jesus' name. Anybody said? Okay, well, let's jump right in here. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk foundationally. And again, the principles that I'm going to teach you in this series will apply to any relationship. Whether it's, how many know you even have a relationship with your enemies? Sure you do. But Jesus said something contrary to what you feel. Jesus said, love your enemies. But I'm really not talking about those arm's length relationships. I'm talking about those that are up close in this series. I'm talking about your spouse, your family, your kids, your inner circle, who shows up at the house at Christmas time and Thanksgiving. But I'm also talking about covenant friendships. I'm talking about that circle of people that are your dear friends. They're friends for life. They're in the BFF category. And uh, I, I, I want to share this morning to start the series two foundational principles for healthy relationships. The first one has to do with lasting commitment. And the second has to do with what I'm going to call true love. And as we explore that second part, you'll see that there's different nuances to love. People mean different things when they say they love you. But we're going to look from a biblical perspective, and I think it's going to help you. Let's look first at the first foundational principle. It is this, I am committed to you. Can you say that with me? I am committed to you. I see this lived out. How many know it's easy when everything is great? It's easy when you have a breath mint in your mouth and you wake up and you don't have bad breath in the morning. It's easy when your kids are employed and living their own lives. But how about if one of your kids ends up in jail? I've seen this over the years. I've seen for a few weeks, you know, uh, friends come by. They try to say hello, but then they stop. But mom shows up every Sunday afternoon during visiting hours because mom has a commitment to that child irrespective of what he or she has done. And it is commitment that we speak about first because commitment is a choice. By definition, it means a vow or a pledge to act in a certain way. It is something we have obligated ourselves to do. This is what our president does. Whenever we inaugurate a president, uh, we see our president will lay his or her hand on the Bible and they will swear to uphold the Constitution. They are pledging themselves. They're making a vow. 
Whenever we send out a missionary, I tell them, I, I said this to Anissa when she came home a few weeks ago, if you ever get in trouble, if there is a crisis and you need help getting out, if there's some emergency, we will help you. If we are able, we will help you. And it is intended, I don't need a contract. She didn't need to say, well, you put that in writing. It's how many know our, our, our word should be our bond. But it is this kind of covenant that we not only feel, but we speak. Now, if I could contrast that just a minute, a committed person with an uncommitted person. An uncommitted person is looking for better options. They're looking for choices. Uh, they're looking for something that's easier, more pleasurable. And if they find it, they'll break their commitment. Uh, this is why during high school, people that choose to, to date uh, and, 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 and they have a series of dating relationships throughout high school, they have practiced divorce some 10, 6, 10, 15, 20 times in the course of high school. Because I like you, we're friends, we love each other, we wear each other's ring, we wear jackets or whatever the case is, but now I no longer like you because there's somebody prettier. Now I no longer like you because somebody drives a nicer car. Now I no longer like you because somebody broke your athletic record. And what happens is there are other options that causes our commitment to fall aside. Uh, we're used to living in a world of being non-committal. Uh, how many know if you have DISH TV and uh, you decide you're going to try direct, how many know DISH will come after you? They will come after you with offers of visa cards. They will come after you with offers to reduce your rates. And listen, it's just good business. To, if they, if they want to compete, how many know we want the best deal? But we're taught as consumers to continually to go after the best options and choices. And I'm telling you, you'll never have a long-lasting marriage. You'll never have long-lasting friendships if you allow yourself to keep looking for something that's better. Come on. When there is a commitment in this significant relationships, it will drive us. A commitment is like an anchor. Let me show you a little picture here. Santa Claus brought me a windmill for my a yard. I got a wildflower patch out there. And it's about 12 feet tall, and I, I put it together, and I put it on the ground, and I thought, well, gee, that thing will blow over when the wind blows real good. And uh, I, I did what most men do. I read the directions after I put it together. <laughs> and uh, I looked in the box, and there were four uh, aluminum rods about this long, and then there was like a cup thing that you screwed into the end of the rod. And the directions said you put one of those in each corner and as you do, you dig you a hole about 14 inches deep, and then you put either dirt or concrete in, into it. And when you attach that here, put the dirt in the ground on top of that, what you have done is you have committed that windmill to the ground. You have anchored it in such a way so that when winds blow, and let's look at winds as adversity, when adversity comes, it will stand strong because it is properly anchored. And this is the commitment that we're talking about in your primary relationships. Now, the Bible refers to commitment. It uses the word covenant. Covenant, by definition, is a promise. It is a solemn agreement that commits someone to another person. When I make a covenant with the person, it is willfully binding to that other person. We often make our covenants in the presence of, in the, presence of the Lord. Now, here's one. My wife and I, when we got married, uh, April 9th, 1983 we wrote our own vows and we said them publicly in front of family and friends in front of God and my sister is good at calligraphy and she wrote them down well here's what part of what Linnell said she said as we stand before our Lord our families and our friends I vow to you my life my love and my devotion 
I promise to encourage you to pray for you and stand by you always. I desire to so love and serve you that you'll be able to completely trust me in all areas of our life together. I desire to do you good all the days of our life. That's just about it. That's pretty good, right? Mine, on the other hand, were not that quite um, committal. I said something like, honey, I promise to allow you to fulfill your vows to me. And, and I will eagerly <laughs> receive your promises. No, I didn't say that. Mine were pretty good too. But they hang on our wall as, as a reminder that that's different than the commitment to Dish Network. It's different than my commitment to a restaurant. It's different. Uh, my wife and I are having a crisis right now. Uh, Albertsons closed one of their stores. We use the Albertsons in Wake Village, but since the other one closed, the lines are so long in the pharmacy, we're thinking about going to Walmart. And, and I hate to say that because we've been committed to Albertsons for years. I'm talking about something totally different. I'm talking about the commitment that you make to your spouse, to your children. And if your children go crazy and they do crazy things, that you can still love them but yet not approve. I want to look at two areas about this covenant commitment that we talk about because the Bible brings this covenant not only to family, but it brings it to Christian people. We are brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. I want to talk briefly about the covenant of marriage and then about covenant friendship. Regarding marriage, Genesis 2, Jesus quoted this as well. When it says, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or be united to his wife. Marriage, according to the Bible, is between a man and a woman. But it is the phrase, they have been committed up to the point of marriage to their family, to their mothers and their mother and their father. But now they are making a different commitment. They are making a covenant to one another. Uh, it is to hold fast, to be united. Uh, marriage is intended by God to be a bond of commitment and permanence. Uh, it is to be lasting. Therefore, we make our sacred vows in the presence of the Lord. And most people will marry inside of a church. In America today, we don't use that language very often. However, something new has emerged in the last few years in America called covenant marriage. Before I explain that, let me talk about no-fault divorce. America used to be a society that would do everything in its power to help people stay married. Uh, in, in, in media, when you watch TV many, many years ago, you could just tell that it was over the boundary if you were to commit adultery or if you were to have someone else's spouse. But today, it's just committed as, as normal. Uh, No-fault divorce was the solution for a throwaway society. It means that your marriage can be dissolved, and it requires no evidence of wrongdoing. You don't have to go to the judge and say he committed adultery. You don't have to say that I've been violently abused, and here's the, here's the, uh, here's the proof. No, no-fault divorce just basically says, you fill out the form, pay the money, and it's over. Now, there is what's called covenant marriage in the state of Arkansas, Louisiana, and Arizona. It is an attempt to push back a little bit. And in a covenant marriage, basically you agree that you'll get pre-marriage counseling before you marry, but you also agree that the reasons for divorce are more narrow. It is adultery. It is acts of violence or abuse or neglect. Uh, and this is different in our world. People are looking for happiness. In the last 30, 40 years, cohabitation has become very, very popular. In other words, just get married. I'm uh, not get married. Don't get married. Just move in together. Just live together. But sadly, uh, in, in trying to keep your op uh, options open to be happier, the opposite is actually true. Uh, 
This is what Focus on the Family found. Their research indicated that cohabitation is correlated with greater likelihood of unhappiness and domestic violence. In other words, you are supposed to be in a relationship where you're not really committed. You still have two bank accounts. You, you, you know, you're, not, you're not legally bound. You don't do things together. It's all yours and mine. So if we don't like each other, and you think it'll make you happier, but not true. Their research found women are more likely to be abused by a cohabiting boyfriend than a husband. Why? Because a husband is committed. If a cohabiting couple, I didn't say perfect, and I know there's problems, but in generalities, if a cohabiting couple does marry, uh, they have a higher propensity to divorce. Children are more likely to be abused by mother's boyfriends than by their husband. It's the world we live in today. In the absence of commitment, it'll never bring the happiness we long for. Now let me talk about covenant friendship a moment. Proverbs 18 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Now, all of us want that. Uh, I, I want to read a scripture that illustrates this in the Bible. You remember when King Saul was the king in ancient Israel, he had a son named Jonathan that would be the heir to the throne, but yet God had called a man named David. He was a peer of Jonathan, and they became friends. Uh, listen to what Scripture says. After David finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. And listen to the language. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. Now, there's no suggestion of a homosexual attraction. There's no, uh, 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 nothing suggesting an erotic love between these two men. But this was a covenant commitment that these two men will make. You know, it's very difficult, hard, awkward for men, a man to tell another man, I love you. But it can be a very healthy thing because our society has corrupted the term. Listen to what Jonathan did. Verse 3, Jonathan, because of this loyal friendship, he made a solemn pact, or here's the word, he made a covenant with David. In other words, he made a promise. In today's world, we'd say he got a lawyer and he obligated himself. But he said words that they would be connected. And Jonathan sealed the covenant. He took off his robe and he gave it to David with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, part of this, this was deeper than just, hey, David, you like to, to fish? I do too, man. Let's be buddies. It was deeper than that. It was a spiritual thing. It was a recognition that David was going to be the king. And part of the symbolism of him giving his robe and other things were recognizing that he was going to be submitted to this man in God's role. But I want you to see they formed a bond together. And it was a godly bond. Well, this does not sound like Facebook friendship. The difference between friends that you can delete with a click and ones that stick with you. I, I think Facebook allows you to have uh, 5,000 friends. Anybody have 5,000 friends on your Facebook? Let me see your hand here. You do not. How about 4,000? I, I think I got about 4,000. I don't know who probably 3,400 of them are. <laughs> but each time they pop up and they're my friend and Facebook's computers tell me my friend's story and everything else about it. But guess what? If they post something about politics I don't like. Guess what if they say something mean about me? Buddy, I can cut your friendship off as soon as I can figure out how to go into the, you know, the technology and I can, I can delete you. And if I can't delete you, I can find somebody smarter than me and, and cut you off from my friend. This is not what we're talking about, but this is the shallowness of our world, and it filters over in our families. Listen, 
Relationships are going to be tested. Everyone in this room knows that. Marriages will be tested. Your, your friend, your spouse may break their word. They may commit adultery. Uh, you may find them having a friendship on Facebook with someone that, that's not proper. I mean, the list is long of things that can happen that can stretch us. You might catch your teenage kids and they've got pornography or they're posting you know, selfies and no clothes or whatever the case is. There's all sorts of things that test it, like the wind tests the windmill. But if I have formed a relationship, a deliberate relationship, very cognizant of what I'm doing, and I've made a commitment to you, it will keep me strong. I have been married, as I said, since the early 80s. And I want you to see this picture. If this is me and this is Linnell, we've had a couple times over the years where we've had a couple things where we just kind of bumped. None of your business what it is. But I couldn't get any closer to her, and because she wouldn't do what I wanted her to do, she wasn't getting any closer to me. But when we started our marriage, we asked a third party to come in our marriage. Not another man and not another woman. But we asked Jesus to come in. And Jesus told us that there's steps that we can take to get closer to him. Because we couldn't get... I couldn't overcome that thing. It was just something that was kind of taught to me in my childhood. It was, a, it was a, an impression that I had of the way things should be, and they weren't, and bless God they should be, and I'm a passive-aggressive, so I'm going to show you. But here's what happens. Every day of our life, we spend time with Jesus. We open our Bible, and we read things, and God's Word speaks to us, and we begin to make changes based on God's Word. Every day I pray, and when I pray, God gives me a greater love for my wife. God helps me to a place of forgiveness. And the very things that had us apart that we couldn't fix on our own, God helped us as we got closer to him. And this is one of the most important things I could tell you today. If your relationship is leveled off, capped off, or been closed, if they're still in your circle, you may not, well, you can't control them. But if you take your step up the ladder in your relationship with the Lord, I promise you, friends, that spiritual growth will help you better be able to relate to the person you care about. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. All right, let's shift gears just a little second and talk about I love you. Come on, say that with me. I love you. Uh, it's the second foundational principle. Let me show you a little quick video here, kind of make you smile, see love around the world. I think it's important to say I love you. It's like one of the most powerful things you can say to someone. I think it's really special. It's something that is not said often enough. What better way to communicate you love someone than be able to say it in their language? Je t'aime. Kochamcha. Mahal kita. I love you. Te amo. Te amo. Me tumse Say, I love you. 
All the cat lovers, let me see amen from that. All right. We know love when we see it. There's some pictures here just about love. Well, heck, there's one right there. You know love when you see it. You know people that care about each other. He just shared a Snickers bar. They've, they've loved a long time. There's my wife and Bethany in Africa. You can tell they love each other. <laughs> There's Lonnie giving Henry a bottle. There's love there, I guarantee you. There's Henry and Mom. He's building blocks. You can just see how proud of her. It's all about love. Here's the last one. Uh, here's Pops FaceTiming Henry. And uh, he and I are having a conversation. Why every day after work, when I give my kids time to get home about 6, I say, can I get my daily fix? I need my picture or my video of Henry or I need a FaceTime. It, it's, it's love. It's love that you want to give and love you want to receive. And everybody that's around that little kid wants him to say their name. Say Dada, say Mama, say Pop, say Lon. You know, all, this is all about love. But what does it mean when we tell someone, we love, I love you? Well, if you're in the back seat of a car and the windows are fogged up, when this guy says, I love you, and I want you young people to listen to me, when he says, I love you, it is not what you think he means. He is not saying, I want to care for you the rest of my life. He is not saying, I want to cherish you. What he's saying is, my hormones are up there, and I'm having lust in my heart right now, and I would like to express it towards you. It's not about you, sweetie. It's about him. Just extra. If you marry this beautiful person and beauty is high up on your deal and they get a cancer on their nose and they ignore it and don't know what's there and they go in for surgery and they're disfigured because of the surgery and you look at them and you put your arms around them and say, honey, I love you. What that means is I'm committed to you no matter how you look. See, that love is not about me wanting a beautiful wife. That love is about me loving you for who you are irrespective of the bumps. See, in the Greek culture, they understood this more. We just have one word for love. In the Greek culture, there was three. The word eros, sexual love, we, that's the word erotic. Uh, it doesn't occur in the New Testament. But the two New Testament words for love are phileo, which is more of a friendship. It's built on emotions, feelings, and agape, which is a willful choice. Let me, let me explain these two. Phileo, by definition, is a natural affection. It is a focus on feelings and emotions. I would imagine these teenagers on the front row, you know lots of people, and it could be you, that have bunches of friends, and one day you're besties, and the next day you don't even talk to each other. I mean, why is that? Because one day you love them, and you're wearing this little necklace, everybody gets a half of it, you know, we're friends for life, but she, she texted your boyfriend. And when she texted your boyfriend, you threw that thing in the garbage. Why? Because your feelings changed. Your moods changed. Uh, feelings of friendship often change over time. Uh, if, if you have a friend who needs $500 or their car is going to get repoed, how many know their friends disappear pretty quick? But there is something, a dynamic of love that causes you to write the check. The Bible would call that agape love. It is unconditional love. It's the love that God has for us. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Which means, Jesus died for me knowing I'd be in prison. Knowing that I would, whatever, rape someone. Knowing I would murder someone. You fill in the blank. Jesus died knowing that I would embezzle money. Jesus died for me. It is an unconditional love. It is not an approval of the actions. 
but it is a love in spite of the actions. Agape love is kind and giving without asking anything in return. It is committed to doing good for the other person no matter what they do. And here's where we have a problem because most of us are willing to take so much and then no more. And I'm going to suggest to you agape love under the guidance of the Holy Spirit is willing to go further. I'm not talking about a woman who's being physically abused. I'm not talking about a, a, a marriage that persists in adulterous behavior. But I am talking about a heart attitude that chooses to love beyond the difficulty. Are you with me today? There are extreme exceptions, but usually we fall back here and we, it's so easy to, to bail out of it. Uh, agape love, and as I talk about it more, you see how impossible it is. That's because the Holy Spirit helps us develop this agape love. It is not natural. We're going to talk about that. Uh, agape love is more of a choice. Agape love is more choice in action than phileo. Phileo is emotion and feelings. Uh, you, go, you, know, you go to a fishing tournament, you, you, know, you see a guy on another boat, he's catching big fish, you like each other, you, know, you, you both drink you know, Pepsi. And uh, uh, cherry Pepsi or cherry Dr. Pepper. How about that? You both drink cherry Dr. Pepper and you hit off a friendship and gosh, next time you're going to fish together. This is a phileo type of friendship. But agape refers to the will to act in loving ways rather than emotion. Human love depends on moods and feelings. But agape love somehow draws from the Holy Spirit to respond in ways that God, that God is pleasing. Now, let me read you what's arguably the greatest chapter that describes love in the Bible. But it's not love for a, a, a marriage service. It's love described in a church setting. It's 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, this was a spiritually gifted Christian church in the city of Corinth. And he begins by saying, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, now this is this spiritual gift of speaking in an unlearned language. Uh, if I don't have love, though, I'm like a clanging cymbal, like you hit the cymbal and you hear it and it's over. Uh, I can have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, prophesy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom. I can have all the gift of faith to remove a mountain, but if I have not love, I am nothing. We're talking about the way we relate to other Christian people. If I give away all I have, the gift of giving, sacrifice, if I deliver my body to be burned, martyrdom, but if I don't have love, we're talking about love for other believers. I gain nothing. Jesus said this in John 13, A new commandment I give you that you love one, agape, love one another, just as I have loved you. Jesus loved us. He washed the disciples' feet. He died on the cross. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Now let's look at the practical definition of love. If you were to ask what love is, love is... A wonderful feeling. Love is feeling accepted. Love is, help me out, butterflies in my stomach. I feel love every time I see you. Paul said love is patient. Who wants that? Love is patient and kind. And patience is the capacity to be wronged and not retaliate. I am your fishing buddy until you catch more than me now. Come on. I am your fishing buddy until you take my special lure out of my box and lie about it. 
and I'm not your buddy anymore. The capacity to be wrong and not retaliate. These Christian members had been wronged. Lawsuits were filed against one another. They were the prideful and, uh, over spiritual gifts. Around communion, the, poor, the rich would have a meal. They ignored the poor. The poor were hungry. And all this dynamic was going on. What he said was, he said, the proper response of love is to show kindness. It is to forgive. It is to drop the lawsuit. The proper response of agape love is to invite the poor person to share a meal with you. Are you with me today? These were Christian people. Verse 4 says, love does not envy or boast. Now, envy means I want what you have. To boast, arrogant, these are words of pride. To be rude, rude means that I treat you rudely. It's the way that I treat you. Rude people are selfish. They don't care about others. And this is what was happening in the Corinthian church. This is all the opposite of love and of, of feelings. But lo true love gets beyond that. Rather than envious, true love is happy that you have what you have even if I don't. True love is void of pride and selfishness. True love is humble, which means I care about you. True love is the total opposite of being rude. People with agape love act differently. Look at verse 5. Agape love does not insist on its own way. I wanted to skip this. Let's think about marriage just a minute. Does not insist on its own way is not irritable or resentful. Selfishness is the mark of spiritual immaturity, and selfishness will strain any relationship. Love doesn't insist on its own way. I thought that's what it was all about. You making me happy. I got a lot of problems, but I'll tell you what my number one is, is selfishness. I just want what I want, and I want it when I want it. And I want it usually right now. And I want you to give it to me, even if I, you have to sacrifice, because it's pleasurable to me. You're looking at me like you just, just can't believe this about your preacher, and no one would ever do that, and your spouse is all the time punching you. Now, come on, where's the... My wife is easily manipulated by guilt. I realized that early in my marriage, and I watched people do that to her, and I vowed I would never do that to her. Now listen, this, what's the next phrase he said? Uh, does not insist on its own way. My wife is on a three-week mission trip right now. Uh, she's, she went to, had two invitations in India, India. They're doing women's conferences. And since Africa was so close, she went to see Bethany and do something there. Let me tell you, I don't like her being gone for three weeks. I can just tell you right now, the Miller household does not function as well. I got this place back here that I just can't rub. But I'll never let her know that I don't want her to go. I will tell her every time I talk to her, I'm proud of her for going. Because she's serving the Lord. Is it fun? No. And this is where the problem is. When we don't get what we want, we don't have the feeling of love, and then we bail. You say, how are you coping with it, Pastor? I am spending a little more time with the Lord. Amen. And as I climb that ladder, it helps me because I realize when I, you know, don't respond in loving ways, when I'm irritable and resentful, and I go to the place of prayer, the Holy Spirit puts his finger on that. And if I'll keep climbing that ladder, he will turn me into another person. 
Have you ever watched someone that was, I'm talking just worldly, they were violent, they were, you know, whatever, just all the way out there, and they came to Jesus and you didn't even recognize them? Instead of being angry and violent, they were kind and they were loving. Instead of being a drunkard, they just changed. It is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And, if you, and nobody can do this for you. I can't pray enough for you, but if you would choose to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, this can happen. Listen, love bears all things. I didn't like her going through three years of, of, of well, she's six years cancer-free now. I didn't like nine, a year of cancer treatments. I didn't like what it did to her. But love bears all things. If all I cared about it was my feelings and what I wanted in a woman, you're quiet. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. One translation says it never fails. It'll last forever. Now, here's the deal. I don't have this capacity. I don't have the ability to do that in my own. But I want to tell you, friends, here's the solution. And if you turn me off, turn me back on. This is the most important thing I could say today. How do I get love like that? Because... If we would admit we don't have it, but we want it, listen to what the Bible says. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is what? The fruit of the Holy Spirit working in your life produces agape love. Allowing God to have his way in your life. This is why you spending time with God every day is so important. Opening your Bible, reading the Scripture coming to church, worshiping, and there's almost a dialogue with God. Your conscience becomes sensitive. You become sensitive to the voice of the Lord. He teaches you to be a better, more loving person. And as you will cooperate with him, he's like the great, uh, 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 makes the clay, the potter. He's the potter, and we're the clay. And as we choose to get on the wheel with God, how many know God's going to make us into something beautiful? And as God makes us good on the inside, we're going to have agape love. Come on, for our spouse, for our kids, for those in our circle of influence. Give the Lord a good hand today. He's, he's worthy of praise. Now, look, I'm going to close. I've got one more scripture this morning, and we're going to have a prayer, and, and then we're going to go. But I, I want to encourage you that if you're married or if you're single and want to be married, please come to this marriage conference this weekend. Uh, there's a million things to do, but let me tell you this. If you want to help your relationship get a little bit better, make it a priority. And let me tell you why it's so important to do something cons uh, asserted like that. Uh, we'll have parents, and they'll say that their teenager doesn't want to go to youth camp. And uh, they'll say things like, well, I don't have any friends, or nobody likes me. And normally our advice is, you just put them on that bus. Look, Say, look, you're 14 years old, I'm paying the bills, you're going to the youth camp. I mean, you're going to go. Because here's what happens when they get down there, they get in the presence of the Lord and they become transformed on the inside. I mean, nonstop Jesus with a kid for two days is amazing results can happen when the worldliness is laid aside. I, 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 I picked on a Kimmy. She works for, uh, worked for us in the church, but she said I could say it. When she went to a youth camp, when she was a little wild, red-headed teenager, she didn't want to go to youth camp, and her mama Penny made her go. And when she came back, she got baptized right here in this baptismal. But guess what? She bought two bags of videos with her. And those videos, she was addicted to soap operas. 
and uh, <laughs> it just defined her life. And she realized they were a problem, and she said, I'm done with those things because she went and spent some time in the presence of the Lord. That can happen for your marriage. And I really want to encourage you, make it a priority. Certainly do both if you can. Start Friday, come Saturday, but at least, at least do one of those. It'll be life-changing. I'm going to close with this. People we love need to hear us say it. The power of your words. Proverbs 18 says, words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. I love you and I'm committed to you need to be expressed in words. It's not enough for them to know it. They need to hear it. I'm going to tell you the most important thing I'll tell you today for a healthy relationship. The two things that you need to say over and over and over again are I love you and I am proud of you. I know men have this great need for honor. I'm proud of you. What you're doing is a success. I'll share from my own life. My, I don't remember uh, my dad telling me he loved me till I was 30. Now, I'm sure he did, and I knew he loved me. My dad was a Depression-era child. They didn't have anything. They lived in the country on a farm. He showed his love for me by what he was able to give for me. Uh, his dad didn't communicate, didn't say, I love you a lot. But when he started saying it at 30, every time we talk now, he says, I love you. Let me tell you what, I need that. But let me tell you what else I need. Last year, I'm 61. Last year, I go back. We're on the farm riding around the truck. And for two days, I had this nagging question in my mind to ask my dad. And finally, I said, are you proud of what I've done with my life? 61. He's 85. There's still a kid in here that needs the affirmation of a father or, listen, or a father figure. You may not be a biological dad to someone, but you can be a father figure to them. And it brings something out of them. Because here's the world they're living in. The world is telling them they're ugly, their clothes are not right, they're a failure, they'll never amount to anything. And it's a constant barrage. But if they will hear you say to them, I am proud of you, even if they struck out three times in a row. I want you to get a hit, son. You know I do. But I could never be more proud of you because you took that third strike like a man and you walked to the dugout and you didn't throw your bat against the wall. Son, I am proud of you. You can always find something to say to that kid. Listen, every time I talk to my children, a text message, I love you. One of my kids will write back, Rebecca wrote back, I love you more. I'll say, impossible. Let me tell you, you hold your little girl's future in your hands. Dads, if you will tell that little girl she's beautiful, if you will tell her she's a princess, if you will tell her God has a plan for her life, you're going to keep her out of the arms of some young man that only wants because she desperately needs to hear it. I'm going to talk about that again in one of my messages, our words. I love you, and I'm proud of you. You can't say it enough. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to close with one last song. But I want us to take just a minute, and I want you to pray. Because this whole agape love thing, it's hard. I mean, I can say I'm with you. How in the world could Jesus say, well, okay, let's not talk about Jesus. How could Philip, when he was being stoned to death, 
for his Christian testimony, say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He had a love for lost people that went beyond feelings and moods. It was supernatural. And agape love is the God kind of love. Could we just all bow our head just a moment? And I want everybody here just to pray. God, help me learn to have agape love. Help me, Lord, learn patience and kindness. Help me not be resentful. Help me not be selfish. Help me care when others don't care back. Ask the Lord. And what you're doing is you're saying, Holy Spirit, teach me these things. Because I'm, I, I, I'm helpless. I can't. I, I don't have enough willpower to do it. I'm hurting too much to do it. But I give you the right to help me to learn the agape love of God. As your eyes are still closed, many that are here today, you have a relationship that causes you untold heartache and pain. And you have closed your heart in many respects. I want you right now, once again, to say, God, I forgive them. Call their name. You just do it softly. But I want you to say, Lord, I forgive them for hurting me. I forgive them for breaking their vows. I forgive them for embarrassing me. Come on, you pray this. Because, Lord, I don't want my heart to be closed. I don't want to be bitter. I don't know where the future of the relationship will be. But I do know I want to respond in a godly way. And I want to get healed from my hurt. If you've got that hurt and it needs to be healed, slip up your hands to heaven. Just slip them up to your heavenly Father right now and say, Heal me from this hurt, Lord. Heal me from this pain. Heal me from the rejection. And I just want to forgive them and I want to bless them right now. Now ask the Holy Spirit to fill you right now. Just pray. Say, Holy Spirit, fill that void in my life. Fill, Lord, what a father or spouse or child has done or said, the wound that they left there. Would you feel it with the healing balm of Gilead? Would you, would you just put the love of God in it? And let me be, be a new person. All right, they're fixing to close with this last song. We're going to have our prayer team come up to the front, and they'll be here to pray with you about anything. Maybe you want a, somebody to pray with you what we just prayed, or maybe, maybe you've got somebody, one of your kids, or maybe your spouse. Doesn't serve, I don't know what it is, but maybe there's somebody you just really need to have prayer over. But we'll pray about anything, and you'll have a private little conversation up here with you and God and somebody who cares. But the most important thing I want to ask you is this. Maybe you're here today, and you say, Pastor, what I need is I need to get right with God. I, I, I realize that I've lived my life without Jesus in the center. I realize I've lived my life for, you tell me, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And I've been kind of like the king on the throne of my heart. And that's the problem. You see, I have to get off the throne and let Jesus come on. And maybe you're here today, maybe you realize the weight of sin. Sin is a horrible thing. Makes you feel guilty, makes you feel shameful, makes you try to fix it or atone for it, but you can't. But God can forgive it. I want you to hear this. No matter what you've done in your life, no matter who you've hurt or how bad you've been, I'm telling you, God can forgive it and wash it away. He can take the guilt and stain and shame away. But you've got to ask Him. Maybe you're here today and maybe you realize that what the world promises is not enough. Money, friends, pleasure, success. 
It's like poured inside in a bucket, and the bucket's got a hole in the bottom. Friend, what you need, it's a God-shaped hole. You need to invite Jesus in your life. If you're here today and say, Pastor, that's what I want to do. I'm ready to commit my life to Christ. I want to ask His forgiveness, but I want to turn and I want to follow Him. And if that's what you want to pray today, we'd be honored to pray with you. As they start singing this last song, I'm going to encourage you, if you want to get right with God and you want our prayers, just slip out of your chair and meet over at the cross on my right. Someone will be there. You're not joining this church. We simply want to pray with you. As you receive Christ as your Savior, it'll be the greatest thing you've ever done. Prayer team, why don't you come to the front? They're going to be here to pray for you. You need prayer for anything, they are here. But most importantly, if you need to get your life right with God, we'll see you at the cross. I love you and thanks for coming.